Now please remain standing and turn your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'll be reading 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Praise the Lord, it's becoming easier to see heretics in the United States. At one time, it was seemingly not as easy to see heretics in the church in the United States. Everyone assumed themselves to be Christians simply because they confessed that Jesus was Savior. They said to themselves, as some doubtless do today, I prayed the prayer, he is my Savior, and now I'm saved because of that. Now, as a pagan sexual ethic enters into America, it becomes easier to see who a heretic is. If I say, yes, Jesus is the Savior of my life, and I now live in a respectable way according to the world's standards and attempt to do all the things that they desire to avoid pain at all costs and love pleasure, does that make someone a Christian? Can someone obey the world's sinful demands as if they were gods and still have Christ as Savior? Does merely confessing Christ Jesus as Savior, is that enough to save? This is the important question that is before us in 2 Peter 2, as he now dives into this subject that has been at the back of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 this whole time, the subject of heresy and heretics. So let's see what Peter has to say about these heretics and their, their heresy and their salvation. So first, first section, the heretic and his heresy. So first, the heretic. Heresies and heretics are in some ways very hard to describe because they're a bundle of contradictions. They, for some reason, want to follow after the true God, but they hate most of what he stands for. But on the other hand, they're very easy to understand. They supplant God from his place and place themselves there. To be a heretic is to be self-serving by definition. When only earthly gain is looked at, heretics are consistent with their first principle, themselves. Heretics don't really ever make sense doctrinally, but their first avenue of entry into the church for their own, as Peter and the history of the church attest to, is through secret deceptions that look like they make sense. They shroud their evil in what sounds good. They deceive with smooth talk. And smooth words. So Peter describes first these heretics by the means, the means of a heretic to get his heresy into the church. Verse 1, it will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly bring in destructive heresies. This is how it always is. 
They secretly do this. They bring it in knowing that it is wrong, but they bring it in so that they might have what they desire, as we will go on. And they exploit with false words. That is verse 3. Peter has had these heresies in the background for quite a while, by the way. In Second Peter, as we learn from this verse, he speaks about this just a few verses ago, saying, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. These false preachers, these false teachers, as he calls them here for the New Testament, exploit with false words things that are not true, not that, something that was seen by eyewitnesses, something that they interpret to their own demise and the demise of others. As we hurry on, Peter second describes the results of the heretic's work in the church. It is blaspheming the truth, which is to live in a licentious manner, as we'll find. Not only is that to blaspheme the Lord's name in yourself, but to cause the world to blaspheme his name and the way of truth, as he says, as it should never be, as if he saved us to sin. Often the world looks at Christianity in this way, as if we use Christ as a cloak for us to sin. It should never be this way, and it is not, in fact, as we will find and the results also are destruction of these people. As we will find out later, as he gives us even more examples of this in 2 Peter 2, this is eternal, and not only in time. And this is a sure destruction, as he says here as well. It is sure in that it is swift, as verse 1, bringing upon them swift destruction. As he continues on in verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This we will find next time as we are in Second Peter. But third and finally, Peter describes the motives of heretics, their motivations. First here is sensuality, sexual desire, and second is greed. Their God is their stomach, it has been said. This is the heretic. It is not a lovely picture. And yet, the heresy is more familiar to us than we realize. As we continue into the heresy, heresy, this heresy is having Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. Having Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. A great deal more will be revealed about these heretics, by the way, and their heresies as we continue on in Second Peter but here Peter reveals the center of this heresy, denying Christ Jesus as master, which he says in verse 1, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Peter has already said many times, five times in fact, in 2 Peter 1, that Jesus is Lord, often saying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The heretics said that Jesus was Savior, you see this, as they seem to say that they were bought by Jesus Christ in his work. To say that Jesus is my Savior is to say that he has saved me from the guilt of sin, the guilt and condemnation that was upon us for sin. Upon the cross, Jesus took the sins of those who would believe in him, truly believe upon him, and destroyed them with his death, nailing them to the cross. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation, says Romans 8, and it says this truly. He has saved us from the condemnation of our sins. 
For many, including these heretics, this is where the gospel stops. This ought to give us pause. To merely say that Jesus is your Savior, Peter says, to merely say this makes you a heretic. Why? Because no one can take Jesus as Savior without also receiving him as Lord. We have the whole Christ, or we have none of him, as we will see soon. Jesus as Lord is to take him as master of our life, of all our life. You deny self and accept him as our commander, as our Lord, as our king. The gospel aims to part you from sin, from your sin, not reconcile you to your sin, as these heretics had done, living a sensual lifestyle and deceiving others so that they might gain money from them in their greed, assuaging their hearts with the words, Christ is my Savior, and blaspheming his name in so doing. All the while they sinned. They acknowledged the truth, but they loved sin and self more. Can there be a Christian who acknowledges Christ as Savior, but does not acknowledge him as King? Now, having looked at the heretic and his heresy, in broad strokes, we might be tempted to turn off our brains and regard, in regard to this heresy because we might tell ourselves that we do not believe this heresy, and so we need not worry ourselves about it. There are some things which ought to give us pause here before you dismiss yourself from the warnings in this passage. First, notice where their heretics, these heretics are from. Verse 1, they arose among you. That is, they originated from within the church that Peter is talking to. These were not devil worshipers that came outside of the church and secretly came in, or rather, that came in with horns upon their heads, as, as if they were easily identifiable to the naked eye. No, these were wolves in sheep's clothing, hardly detectable until Peter revealed them. That's first. And second, Notice in verse 1, they were denying the master who bought them. As we already said, they believed that they were bought by the precious blood of Christ. These heretics may have been motivated by greed and sensuality, but notice that they thought they were Christians. They believed they were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, but they were deceived in this. You can have faith in Christ and yet not truly believe. This ought to give us pause because these heretics have judgment and destruction, eternal judgment and destruction coming inexorably for them. But in their own minds, in the time of Peter's writing, they thought they were Christians and comforted themselves in these words. Therefore, Christians ought to beware and examine themselves to see if they are heretics, not assume that they are not heretics because they reason. They don't have horns coming out of their heads. To know whether you're saved is of the utmost importance. And this is the, t- the topic of discussion. Simon Magus in Acts 8.13, in fact, considered himself a believer. And even the evangelist Philip baptized him, thinking that he was, in fact, one who had genuine faith. That it was later revealed he merely confessed Jesus Christ as Savior so that he could buy up the powers of the Holy Spirit as if they could be used like magic. And Peter later revealed to him him and to all others that he was still in his sins and an unbeliever. What is the point that I'm getting at here? 
These heretics in 2 Peter 2, as well as all heretics, think that they are saved. Though we must know, brothers and sisters, all faith does not save. All faith does not save. And these heretics show, nor does all faith in Christ save. The haunting passage of Matthew 7 comes to mind. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And I, says Jesus, will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Not only is this haunting passage showing that our works are not enough to reach heaven, but notice how many of these people exist who express themselves to be Christians but are really not. The first word of verse 22 is many. Many will say to me. There are many in this category, a great number. And these people are apparently quite self-assured of their own salvation. Because notice, they also speak first to Jesus. And they say in their confidence, Have we not, Lord, Lord? They're confident in their salvation. And yet, they were sent to hell. That is to say, with scripture, with Psalm 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So close to the naked eye is true faith with, with false, faith, false faith, goodness, that we cannot simply stamp ourselves as clean, but we must know we are stamped clean by the master. These heretics in 2 Peter 2 were presumptuous about their salvation, and although I hope Some repented. I do not doubt that many ignored the warnings of Scripture that Peter gave them in this letter and went to hell indeed. Therefore, let us, lest we be like them, let us understand this passage. It is imperative that we know what separates true believers from false professors of Christ. What really, centrally, vitally, did these heretics do wrong? Where did they go wrong? What separates true faith from the faith of these heretics? Which we get into our second section, the true Christian and his true faith. Sin follows its own way, as we have seen already, and cannot take Jesus Christ as absolute Lord. This is first. Sin follows its own way and cannot take Jesus Christ as his absolute Lord. We learn from Isaiah 53, 6, that sin, at its most basic level, is having your own way against the law of God. Having your own way. We are there compared with sheep who have rebelled against our master, our shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. This was true of heretics. They did not follow Christ, their master. And what does 2 Peter 2 say? They follow and try to cause others to follow their sensuality. They follow their desires. They do not follow Christ. These heretics think they can follow their sensuality, their greed, and their Lord all at the same time. What does Jesus say? Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yes, these heretics believe they could serve two masters. Heretics believe that they can be saved and that they can serve God on their own terms. False professors believe that they can serve at least two masters at the same time, their own sinful self-interests and God. They say unto themselves, I can follow Jesus as my Lord, but really, I don't think I can serve him in everything. I'll serve him 
in this, and I'll serve myself in this sin that I love. God will forgive me in these things, says the false professor. They are absorbed with self and sin. They want all the comfort of the gospel, but they want none of the responsibility with which a servant of of God and a son of God requires, as J.C. Ryle says, if they are prepared to own him as Lord, it is not as absolute Lord. This was the sin of Adam, in fact. In 1 Timothy 2.14, it reveals he was not deceived. He was not deceived when he took the forbidden fruit. No, he was not deceived, but he said to himself, this one thing, this one thing, and deliberately defied God in his sin. He knew what was his sin, and he did it deliberately. He knew what he was doing. Adam would not have God as his absolute Lord, and here we are in the misery of sin today. The false believer is like a rebellious faction within a nation that comes to their Lord, their king, the Lord of that land, and says, please, Lord, pardon me, and then rises up, picks up his gun, and resumes his rebellion against him. This is an absurd image. Until this rebel lays down his arms and abandoned his self-will, self-sovereignty, and self-styled kingship and recognizes who the true king is, then he will never be a true subject of that great king. Like Adam and this rebel before the throne, we ought to realize how great our sin is before we take it up again. It is rebellion against God and a wrenching of authority to ourselves that belongs to God alone and is indeed God's alone. None can follow God who do not have hatred of sin. And realize the way of the Christian to no longer fight God, to no longer love the darkness, but to love the light, as John 3 says, and to love the light of Christ's kingship. What does all this mean? This means that true Christianity, true Christians aim to follow Christ with their whole heart, undivided. Yes, we seek to obey him. We seek to no longer be rebels. We seek to give our whole heart to God, all our love and all our submission. Everything and nothing less will do. Like a woman married to her husband, she seeks to love her husband and submit to him as her Lord. The way we show love is through our obedience, says 1 John 5, 3. If you love me, obey my commandments, says God. Therefore, a life without obeying God is a life without love to God, which is no salvation at all. But we must be careful. The image of marriage is a good one, one that scripture uses consistently. Yet notice in this illustration that this woman is already married to the man. God and our marriage to Christ as the church united us together before our own work. We were united to Christ and changed our hearts to make us people who love the Lord, our King. No longer rebels to hearts that hate God, but loving and loving service to our Lord and Master is given. He did this. He changed us, not us. We cannot make ourselves love the Lord But once he is our Lord, once we have faith in him, once he has done this work, once we have it by the power of the Spirit, renounced our rebellion, our whole life is a gradual forsaking of self and a submitting to his rule. 
our whole whole life, now that we have ceased to fight against him as rebels, is throwing away all other things which compete for our utter heartfelt devotion of the Lord. So that if we are to confess that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, as we must, as all true Christians must from the heart, then we must say of those who are still following their own self-willed course of self-pleasing, knowingly, without repentance, as Ryle says, you are only deceiving yourselves if you think that you have come to Christ. Here's the basic difference between heretics and true Christians. They have not renounced love of sin or love of the world or love of self, and they have not renounced any other way of salvation and hope but what is in Christ. The Christian says, where shall I go? For you have the words of life. But the heretic says, where shall I go? If I need words of life, I can find them when I want to look for them. The Christian says, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned against you. The heretic says, Lord, I have made a mistake. Make me better according to this person's standard of better. Only Christians understand the depths of sin that their rebellion to God is. Only Christians truly repent of their sin before the Lord. Only Christians are ready to undergo every pain and suffering for God's glory. Only Christians are ready to depend upon God for life and pardon and everything and bow before him with their whole heart. This is the narrow road which Christ spoke of that few find. But these actions of the Christian, I again tell you, do not purchase salvation. Salvation is purchased by Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Good works are indeed the fruits and evidences of faith, of a true faith, one that is alive within us. Peter has been teaching this all along in 2 Peter 1. Does Peter say that we create our works ourselves, those things which he has spoken about so much in the previous chapter? Or does he say that God granted these things to us? Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. He called us to his own glory and excellence. He granted that ability to work for his glory. And in doing these works, what are we doing? Does he say that we are creating our salvation? No, he says, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election, not create your calling and election. Our works are necessary. Yes, brothers and sisters, Christians must have works of service to their Lord or else they are illegitimate children. But works are necessary as evidence as things that flow forth from a heart that has been changed necessarily. A heart which the Holy Spirit has granted, love of God. Peter has been teaching us to obey Christ, that we might be assured of the work of the Spirit within us. What is the defining characteristic of the life of a Christian? The evidence of the Spirit's work, love and obedience to God. It is not what brings us into heaven, And yet it is an evidence and a comfort to us. What is the characteristic of a life of an unbeliever and a heretic? Evidence of a heart, the gall of bitterness, hatred of obedience to anyone but self. 
The Christian evidences his love for God by, although he sins, and we do indeed sin in this life, brothers and sisters, we are no longer defined by sin. We are no longer defined by it. And we make no allowance or excuse for it. Sin in this life is to be rooted out at all costs for the Christian. Mercilessly, relentlessly. Christian, God only offers comfort and security to our hearts after our hatred and sorrow for sin. He offers comfort and security to our hearts after our hatred and sorrow for sin. We may indeed have that security, but he offers no comfort in it without those necessary, coming from the heart necessarily, works. Don't get me wrong. The salvation of Christ indeed is free. You do not have to buy Christ, 2 Peter 2, 1. Christ buys you. The Lord indeed bought us. But grace, by grace alone, we are saved. But once we have Christ, we are necessarily changed, is what I am saying. So that free grace, freely and certainly, obeys Christ. Obeys him as Lord as a result of being united to Christ and the whole Christ. Christ does not just justify us. He sanctifies us. God does not justify us by our works. He shows us to be justified by our works. He has given us justification and sanctification because we have the whole Christ. And those are gifts from Christ. Justification and sanctification. Christ is either our prophet, priest, and king, holy, all of those, or he is none of these. You cannot take one or the other. All this is to say that Christ cannot be a savior unless he is also Lord. The Christian is the property of Christ. Herman Witsius has this to say, Christ offers himself as a husband to the soul only upon this condition that she acknowledge him likewise as her Lord, renounce her own will, and be carried wherever he pleases. Or to say with the lover of Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's, and then my beloved is mine. Unlike these wicked heretics in 2 Peter 2, let us be the Christians of Macedonia, who in 2 Corinthians 8.5 gave themselves to the Lord, wholeheartedly gave themselves to the Lord, it says. Believe on Christ as Savior, abandon your self-will, repent and please God, and not self at all costs, and you will show yourself to be saved. Obedience necessarily flows from faith. Yes, Christian, Christ is Lord. Christ saves from sin, from its guilt, that is, as he died to make us clean in the cross, and he saves us, Christ saves us, from the power of sin as he is Lord over our life. We are polluted no longer, and sin has no power over us any longer either. As if these heretics, as the heretics believed that sin had power over them. So as we close, yes, believe Christ's work to save you. The worst of sinners can be saved by this Savior. Trust in him alone for salvation. Rest upon Christ and his work, but also realize you have been saved from sin and flee from it to righteousness. Or else, if we confess 
that our works do not matter at all to the Lord, be under condemnation. Christian, what does Jesus say? He says to us, repent and believe. Believe and repent, both. Unlike the heretic, let us be saved by Christ, for we are saved either upon his terms or we are sentenced to hell upon our own terms. We are either saved by the whole Christ, justified and sanctified, or not at all. Therefore, let us love Christ who died, that we might be saved from sin even now and forevermore. Let us surrender our service to him away from idols, denying ourselves and agreeing always with Christ. Let us repent to him our sin who promises that we will have abundant pardon for repentant sinners. Let us trust in Christ for salvation and look to him as our Lord. Let us obey in true faith and love until he comes with the mind of Christ given to us by him. Come quickly, O Lord. Let us go to our great God in prayer. O Lord, we thank you that you have saved us from sin, not only the guilt of sin on the cross, but the power of sin as you are resurrected and ascended on high as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this, Lord, that you have kept us from the the whisperings of heretics. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do this. And as you have promised that there will be heretics among us, as there were false prophets, as now there are false teachers, we pray, Lord, that we would reject what is false and do what is right. Reject in our minds and reject with our hands and feet what is evil. That we might follow after you, Lord, with our whole heart, not merely in assent, but also in the way that we walk. But Lord, we pray that in all of our doing, that we would look to Christ for our salvation. If we are indeed doing what is right, Lord, we pray that you would comfort us in our afflictions. Lord, that you would comfort us to look to you for our salvation. That we would not see ourselves and our works as our way of getting to heaven. But Lord, that our obedience would be a fragrant aroma to you, going up into heaven, showing us our love. Lord, may we love you from our very hearts. We ask all this, all in the name of our loving and gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord. Amen.